Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine. I'm Shelby Herbert and I report for KFSK. Alaska scientists are watching a massive volcanic eruption on Russia's Kamchatka Peninsula and so far it does not appear to be sending ash to mainland parts of the state. Shivaluch volcano began spewing ash high into the atmosphere on Monday up to at least 50,000 feet, and the huge ash cloud was drifting east. Hans Schweiger, a research geophysicist with the Alaska Volcano Observatory, says it's not expected to create any ash deposits on the ground in Alaska, but that could change. Yeah, it it could easily move further uh, across the Aleutians towards um, um, Dutch Harbor. It could affect uh, maybe... Southeast Alaska, um, we'll have to see. It's still putting out ash. For now, Schweiger says, the ash is affecting air traffic in the region, which includes the far western Aleutians. And, he says, it's already dropped nearly three inches of ash on a nearby village. So, Schweiger says, the Alaska Volcano Observatory and its international partners will continue to monitor the situation. A windstorm tore through the Petersburg borough on Easter Sunday. At the north end of the island, the National Weather Service recorded winds nearing 30 miles per hour at about 1 p.m. that day. However, the organization did not have data for the south end of Mitkoff Island, which experienced the most municipal damage. The storm blew trees onto Mitkoff Highway and snapped two power poles near the Crystal Lake hydroelectric plant. Carl Hagerman is the utilities director for the Petersburg Borough. He says residents living out the road saw the worst damage. He says nearly all customers from Scow Bay to the Crystal Lake Hatchery felt the outage. That's between 3 and 18 miles south of town. Uh, It was a short and intense windstorm, that's for sure. And so about 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Easter Sunday, we got notice that uh, there was an outage on the circuit that extends from the Scabby substation to the south end of of our system. Hagerman says a tree came down around mile 8 on Mitkoff Highway, which destroyed two electrical cross arms. Unfortunately, the poles were far enough away from the road surface that we couldn't use our bucket trucks to fix those items. So the linemen had to climb many poles, actually, to uh, put new cross arms up. So it took about five and a half hours for all that work to be done. By the end of the day, some customers on the fringes of the borough, including the Crystal Lake Hatchery, were still without power. Hagerman says Petersburg's Power and Light Department worked through the next day to repair the lines. It was a busy couple days for the crew, but happy to say they did a fantastic job and uh, everybody made it through uh, relatively unscathed as far as, you know, losing power on Easter. But we appreciate the patience of our customers. We all have stories of losing power on holidays and, you know, it happens, but we were there and, and got everything set right. As of Tuesday, April 11th, Power was restored to all Petersburg Borough Power and Light customers. Surveyors with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game knocked on doors in Unalaska last week and asked questions about salmon. Jackie Keating is a researcher with the department's subsistence division, and she says they are conducting 200 surveys and whose doors they knock on is random. 
We're interested in all kinds of ways that people get fish. Um, we do differentiate uh, between methods on the survey, so we'll be able to tell if folks harvested from rod and reel or from a subsistence net or something like that. But it's meant to be a very holistic view of, of use of fish in the communities. Individual data is kept anonymous and can reveal important trends. The department's last study showed salmon made up of up to 42% of the, the subsistence harvest in Unalaska. And that's a huge percentage, according to subsistence division researcher Chance Wilcox. I mean, subsistence is a way of life for rural Alaska. And so we want to be able to accurately portray what that looks like and then be able to make better decisions. So for one example, Keating says past survey data factored into the 2016 decision to close on Alaska Bay to commercial trawling in an effort to protect subsistence. It really uh, comes out to play in like the regulatory arena, like if folks want to put in a board of fish proposal or some sort of federal fisheries proposal, having that long-term data set can be really beneficial. Fish and Game will host meetings in Alaska this fall to review the collected data. After that, the department will also publish the survey results. Despite an outcry from residents in the small Prince of Island, Prince of Wales Island town, a nearly 300 acre timber sale in and around the city of Whale Pass is poised to go forward. After months of advocating for changes to the plan, residents are now worried about what their town will look like once cutting begins. Reagan Miller reports from Ketchikan. Whale Pass is a quiet town, tucked out of the way on the northern tip of Prince of Wales Island. It's a good place to escape the hustle and bustle of larger communities. James Greeley lives in town. People are uh, coming to Whale Pass to get away from all that for fishing adventures and such. The city's 100-some residents hunt and fish and rely on natural resources. But Greeley expects an upcoming 292-acre timber sale to change a lot about his town. Greeley says he's concerned log trucks will clog up the only road in and out of town and bring this quiet community a steady stream of mechanical noise. He says he's concerned the planned clear-cut on a hillside overlooking town could also hurt the town's status as a destination for fishermen and other tourists. And he's also worried about what it will do to residents' way of life. There are concerns about how the clear-cut might affect fish and deer habitat, even though the state's best interest finding dismissed those concerns. The sale could become final later this month, and residents who live on the hillside worry that their houses will face landslides, floods, and strong winds. Greeley lives in one of those houses, and he can see the orange tape marking the clear-cut boundary from his kitchen window. Will I be able to walk my dog again? The state's Division of Forestry is conducting the sale. Southeast Area Forester Greg Staunton says he expects the hillside to recover quickly. Been quite a while since they'd seen a you know uh, a cleared hillside in their their view shed, but it was it will be similar to what they're already looking at probably five to ten years time. Staunton says his division listened to the outpouring of opposition for the sale, specifically how close the boundary comes to some homes, but he says it just wasn't feasible to push it back. We approached the design of the sale with the perspective that you know, we wanted to maximize that footprint for the intended purpose of the land base, which is for forest management. But Staunton says the plan does incorporate wildlife corridors to minimize the impact on deer and fish. Katie Rooks is a policy analyst for the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council. She thinks the most surprising thing about the sale is that despite how much criticism it received, it's still moving forward. 
The Division of Forestry published its land use plan last week. But I think after the, uh, you know, moving appeals by the people of the town, I, I think we were um, just shocked at, at the lack of uh, empathy. This is public land, and the public overwhelmingly responded in opposition to this sale. Greeley heads up the group Friends of Whale Pass, which has led local opposition to the sale. He submitted several written comments and proposals to the division and participated in the hearing process. It's just very frustrating and very disappointing. Greeley feels like the state ignored Whale Pass. From my first comment was basically they're just saying shut up and take it. So I guess that's what we have to do. If a request for reconsideration is not filed, the sale will be made final on April 26th. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The Togiak Sacro herring fishery used to draw hundreds of fishermen, and it, it was Alaska's largest f- herring fishery. But as the market for roe has shrunk, the remote fishery has become financially unfeasible, and no commercial fishing will take place this spring. Now, as KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, the state's marketing branch is looking to the North Atlantic for ideas about how to help Alaska's industry. Commercial herring fishing in Togiak used to be gangbusters. It was uh, like a gold rush. Frank Woods lives in Dillingham and started fishing for Togiak herring in the mid-1980s. The whole bay would fill up with industry. It would be a buzz. Everybody would gear up to go, and everybody had only fun doing it but made money at it. Fast forward to 2018, and Woods was the only gillnetter in the fishery. Going from that huge industry to down to one boat. I never imagined that even possible, let alone like now, no fishing at all um, to where there's no market for it. Nobody's um, targeting and changing that for us. Processing companies in Alaska primarily sell herring to Japan, which used to have a big market for the row. But as Japanese traditions shifted, that market shrank and the price for herring dropped. For years, the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute has worked to increase demand for herring in the U.S. The state bought a herring filet for processors to use, and it's tried to promote the culinary delights of the fish, hosting Alaska Herring Week three years in a row and working with chefs to develop recipes. But the demand for Alaska herring hasn't budged significantly. And this year, processors opted out of Togiak. You can only lose money for the fun of it for so long. Bruce Schachtler was a longtime herring fisherman and now directs ASME's food aid program. We've continued over time to lose more and more buyers out of Togiak and herring buyers in general across the state. So what that really tells you is there ain't very much money in it. That's why last year Schachtler and others at ASME published a report, the Alaska Herring Market Recovery Project. It said the goal was to bring new perspectives to an industry stuck in the 1980s. Examining European fisheries in the North Atlantic, Schachtler found that fleets fish for herring throughout the year. So processors get a lot of different products based on when the fish are caught. Unlike in Alaska, where most fisheries target runs during the spring spawning season. Herring from the North Atlantic are used to make fish meal and oil, but also for canning, pickling and smoking. They catch the fish in Norway, they ship it to Germany or Denmark, they smoke it, they can it, and next thing you know, you're buying it in Trader Joe's in Seattle. My question has always been, well, do we catch these big herring in Alaska? Can we catch them in the wintertime, in some of these other places? 
when they have a different meat quality from the spawning phase? And then can we do something with them? Shackler says in order to market herring successfully, the American fishing industry needs to figure out something new to sell. But he says so far they haven't seen strong interest in doing so. And there are some key differences between herring fisheries in Alaska and in the Atlantic. For one, the European fisheries are much closer to a big slice of their market, while Alaska processors have to ship fish much further away. And he says herring fisheries in the North Atlantic are much bigger. Some of the boats are fishing will bring in 10 million pounds aboard. Uh, they'll have a big week up there fishing and they'll catch 35,000 tons in just a week. The report also highlights opportunities in the industry. Some European herring stocks lost their sustainability certification from the Marine Stewardship Council in 2020. And the report says that creates openings for other fisheries to win new customers. Mark Palmer is the president and CEO of OBI Seafoods. He says they couldn't process herring this year because they're renovating plants in Dillingham and Naknek ahead of the salmon season. They've looked at alternative customer bases before, but he says they haven't hit on the right product yet. You know, I think once there's a product out there, then it would be, you know, can we compete? You know, can we go out and produce and and compete in the global marketplace? And There's been efforts to work on fillets. We, at one point, we had equipment in our Kodiak plant. We were filleting herring. We've canned. We've made samples of canned. Shackler says in order for things to change, management has to shift. To get fish with higher oil content, for example, they have to harvest them in the fall. If you don't change fish and game doesn't change management, then you don't have access to those fish for those particular products that you're going to try to address in some section of the market. Management has to change if anything else is going to change with any significant manner. For this spring, Togiak's herring run will return to spawn, unharvested by a commercial fleet. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. State officials are resurrecting a labor department program to help immigrants gain employment in Alaska as hundreds of Ukrainian refugees are resettling here after fleeing their war-torn homeland. The legislature passed a law more than 20 years ago establishing the Office of Citizenship Assistance within the Alaska Department of Labor and Workforce Development, but it closed after a few years. Acting Labor Commissioner Kathy Munoz says the office is back as of yesterday after as of Tuesday after refugee assistance providers at Catholic Social Services had asked for help from the state. I think it's really a unique opportunity to really connect individuals to training and employment resources and really trying to help to coordinate Uh, those activities. Munoz says the state is in need of skilled workers, particularly those with certifications for commercial driving, as federal infrastructure funds flow to Alaska and construction ramps up. But there are often barriers, bureaucratic or otherwise, for immigrants seeking employment after arriving in the state. Munoz says the Office of Citizenship Assistance will help them overcome those hurdles, as well as other challenges that come with resettling to a new country. Deputy Commissioner Nelson San Juan is leading the office and says, as an immigrant himself from the Philippines, the work was important enough to lure him out of retirement. 
for them to see me leading this uh, team, it means a lot to them. It gives them hope that, oh, okay, he's also, I can see myself on this guy, you know. Munoz says about 500 Ukrainian refugees have already rese- have already settled in Alaska, with another 250 expected this year and 200 more next year. And Munoz stresses that the Office of Citizenship Assistance aims to help any immigrants to Alaska, whether they're from Ukraine or elsewhere. According to new census data, more than 2,000 people moved to Alaska from other countries last year. KFSK is celebrating National Poetry Month by sharing poetry readings each weekday. Today's poetry reading features the late Jim Danko, and this was recorded in 2014. Hi, uh, I'm Jim Demko, and uh, because it's Poetry Month here at KFSK, and because Earth Day is coming up, I wrote a few lines of poetry for you here. And uh, we'll call it Earth Abides. Not an original title, but it's suitable. Earth Abides. Doesn't need anyone hugging trees. Doesn't need the endangered species. Critters come and critters go. Evolution, don't you know? Earth Abides. Doesn't need the EPA, Sierra Club, or Greenpeace. Raise the forest, plunder the seas. Earth abides. It'll grind up our garbage, given a while. Carbon cycles, water cycles, cycles within cycles, given time, will regenerate the seas, the air, and the soils. Earth abides, in spite of baby boomers, mass consumers, our children's own doomers. Polluting for pleasure, more is better. Earth abides. Doesn't need us humans to make a fuss. Doesn't need any of us. Doesn't need our love. It is us who need all the above. Earth abides. These poetry readings are a production of KFSK, presenting throughout, presented throughout the month of April. The readings are aired at approximately 8.08 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. You can listen to many poetry readings on our website, kfsk.org.